Amen. Thank you, guys. What a wonderful time of worship this morning. What a blessing it is. Well, this morning, as we look at God's Word, I want to begin by just saying happy Thanksgiving to you guys. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful time. You know, I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays, and um, I guess it might even be the most favorite for me. And as I was sharing and talking with someone this week, uh, she commented and said, I just love Thanksgiving. She said, it's my favorite because we don't have the pressure of all the gifts. And, uh, and I concur that there's something wonderful about just getting together with each other to enjoy company and to have good family fights. Amen? No. <laughs> we can do without the fights. You know what? It's just so good to be able to be with family. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I was thinking about... Uh, the Thanksgiving meal, <clears throat> you know, in our country at least, we have a tradition of gathering together and eating turkey and, uh, and turkey and dressing and cranberry sauce and, you know, all of these wonderful things. By the way, what's, your, what's one of your favorite meals at, at uh, Thanksgiving? Anybody want to reply? <laughs> all right, wait, wait a minute. Somebody said leftovers. <laughs> okay, what kind of leftovers? Sweet potato casserole, mm-mm, good. And what's that? Mac and cheese, absolutely. But we want the homemade mac and cheese, right? Oh, that's it right there, you know. And then, of course, there are other things, of course, like the turkey and, and um, uh, you know, and just all of the things. Some of you might have certain kind of pie. What kind of pie? Pecan. Pecan? Pecan or pecan. And <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, but there's another kind of pie too that I was thinking about. Well, apples there too, but what else? Pumpkin pie. That's right, pumpkin pie. You know, uh, these are things that we have. And of course, we have mashed potatoes and gravy. And the bottom line is that's kind of a cultural thing with us. And other places they celebrate different ways, but. You know, one of the things that really has captured the attention of all folks who go into grocery stores and shop for good food is that label that says homestyle. Homestyle bacon beans. Homestyle beef stew. Homestyle tomato soup. I mean, there's just something special when they put home style. It's like, oh, this is really going to be like my mama used to make or my mama makes. And you know, it's, it's important that advertisers are smart because they know if they can capture your attention with the eye and they can activate a memory that has to do with the taste, they're going to sell more of their product. But I love that phrase, home style. And we're going to have a home style Thanksgiving, I'm sure, this Thanksgiving. But what I really hope we have, and what I hope you'll have, is not merely a home-style Thanksgiving, but I pray you'll have a heaven-style Thanksgiving. And we're going to talk about that this morning as we look at God's Word. While you're turning in your Bible to Revelation chapter 4, I want to just share with you that the other night, my wife, uh, she, uh, she made uh, tomato rarebit soup. I love tomato rarebit soup. It's good. I mean, you know, it's got a special flavor. You have special ingredients you put in it. I like tomato soup, but I love tomato rarebit. But the other day, we were having tomato rarebit soup, and my wife had fixed it, and she had it ready, and I went and got some, and I was eating it, and we were eating together, looking at, uh, at, at each other and with making those, those wonderful eyes that you make with your spouse. No, I'm just kidding. Not like that. The other way. But I, I looked at her, and I said, 
I said, did you change the recipe for this soup? And she looked at me with knowing eyes, and she said, I used a different kind of soup. I knew it immediately. I knew there was something different about the way and the flavor and the way it tasted. And it's the same way with thanksgiving. When you understand heavenly-styled thanksgiving versus home-styled thanksgiving. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about thanksgiving, heaven-style, and how you can make this thanksgiving be Christ-centered and Christ-focused. And it'll be a blessing to you. So this morning, because of the... I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and stand up, and I'm just going to read a, the first verse of this passage, and then we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to be seated, and then we're going to dig into God's Word. Revelation chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1. And today our passage is all the way through verse number 5, So, but I'm not going to read two chapters to you, okay? Standing up, anyway. So that'll just relieve any, any concern. If you're at home and you're worshiping with us, please get your Bible out and join us. And if you'd like to, stand with us as we read this portion of God's Word together and as we pray, okay? Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1. Before we read it, let me just say, John now, John the Apostle, is having a revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ is revealing it to him. He's on the Isle of Patmos and... Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day. Lord God, I want to thank you for these dear, wonderful folks who have gathered again with us in this auditorium and by the means of communication over the Internet. I want to thank you, O oh God, for their gathering together with us in worship and solidarity with you. And Father, I pray that you will... Lead us to that place where we are transported to the very throne room of heaven as we look at your word this morning. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirits, the seven spirits of God, would inhabit our lives and our place this morning. And Lord God, that you would guide and direct us to those truths that are central to our lives. And Lord God, I pray that there would be a fire within that might motivate us, Lord God, to be faithful servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. One of the things that we need in order to have a thanksgiving that is heavenly styled, a thanksgiving that really tastes like the genuine article and smells like the real thing is we need, like John, to have an awe-inspiring vision of the heavenly place and the heavenly Lord. We really need a jaw-dropping vision. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you saw something and your jaw just kind of, your mouth opened and your jaw dropped down. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. Many years ago, I was, I was at a place and I was, I, I was in a, a barn as a young boy and I looked down and there before me was a rattlesnake and my mouth just kind of opened up. Is that real? 
And then I proceeded to, to, uh, to, to dispatch the thing. But the bottom line is that, you know, John is having an awe-inspiring vision. I don't even like, when I think about the word awe, I think it needs to be stronger. This is the kind of vision that brings a holy fear into someone's life. This is the kind of vision of God that drops one to their knees on their face before God. This is the kind of vision that strengthens those who were submitted before him so they can stand against armies. This is the kind of vision that cringes in the presence of a holy God and an understanding of his glory and power and honor and John has that experience. You can have that experience too. The Bible tells us that John saw a door standing open and he heard this voice. It was a voice like a trumpet. This is the voice of Jesus speaking to John. And Jesus says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. You know, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want you to understand this is a this is a powerful. Uh, I wish that we could, I wish that we could visualize this with the glory that is in the scripture, and maybe the Holy Spirit will help you capture the glory of this. But think about it for just a moment. The Bible describes this scene, verse number two. Behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. Those are, those are two precious gemstones. And uh, scientists, not scientists, but scholars are divided about what they, what they mean. We know sardis means red, and some attribute this to the beauty of a ruby. The, the, the word here this, that's used for uh, jasper, sometimes people ascribe this to some kind of green color. And uh, sometimes uh, it, they describe it as a diamond. But the bottom line is that he who sat on the throne was glorious and full of light. The Bible describes God. You know, God is a spirit. God is not some man that actually attained godhood. That's heresy. And unfortunately, there are many who believe and teach that today. But the Bible describes the one who is seated on this throne as being so brilliant. And, and, and the scripture defines God as a spirit. But the Bible also says that God is light in whom there is no darkness. This is a brilliant being. A person of unparalleled beauty and glory. The appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne there was a rainbow that had the, the appearance of an emerald. Many people believe that this rainbow is representative of the rainbow that came into the world when, after the flood. When Noah was, uh, was, survived the flood and, and, and it, the, the waters had gone down. And then God put a rainbow in the sky to remind people that he would not ever destroy the earth again with floodwaters. I don't have it with me this morning, but uh, I have a uh, I have a, uh, a fob for my car, and and uh, and I I got made fun of one time because I put my fob in a plastic little plastic bag, and the reason I did that is because it was getting you know scratched up and tore up being in my pocket with my other keys and tools and things like that. So I put it in a little plastic bag, and then the plastic bag began to rip on me, and so I said, okay, how can I do this? Well, I can put tape on it. So I taped it up, you know, and, and it lasted for a while, and then I replaced it again. But the next time that I replaced it, I replaced it with some multicolored tape. Orange, yellow, red, blue, 
green. And you know what? I, it's funny because I put the tape on like that and I got picked at for doing that. But listen, the reason I did that is so that when I pull it out of my pocket and lay it on a table and someone sees it and they say, oh, are you supportive of X, Y, Z? I'll say, no. This is a reminder to me that God put a rainbow in the sky to say that he would never destroy the, the world with water by, by water again. And that opens up a whole other opportunity for me to share a good word about the Lord. A rainbow, symbolic of the mercy, symbolic of the love of God. Let me say it in a more personal way. Symbolic of the affection of God for you. You know, we toss that word around love. For God so loved the world. We do it so casually. But the reality is the love of God is about his sincere and deep and faithful undying affection for you as an individual. We should not forget that. God loves us deeply. So the Bible tells us that John has this awe-inspiring vision of a throne that is before, uh, that is in heaven. And by the way, when you pray our Father, who do you say our Father who art in where? Heaven. You're praying to the throne of God. You're right there. And this passage will even tell us as we look at chapter 5 also that the prayers of the saints are right there with these, these, uh, these heavenly beings right there before the throne of God. They're in bowls that they call bowls that contain the prayers of the saints. But anyway, that's another story. We'll get there later. How do you have a heaven-styled thanksgiving? It begins with an awe-inspiring vision of God on His throne. Stephen was so overwhelmed with the vision of God on his throne that while they rained rocks down on him for preaching the gospel, he was, he was so focused on the joy of heaven, the presence of that vision that opened up before him. The Bible says that Jesus endured the cross. He despised the shame of being made as a, a human and, and being in human likeness and having the sin of the world put upon him. He despised all of that, but he endured it for the joy of, the, of, of heaven, the joy that God put before him because heaven and glory meant more to him than limited time of human suffering. If you really want to experience thanksgiving, heaven style, there needs to be a holy vision of God. How do you get there? How do, I, how do I get there? Because this world is so messed up. If I look at this world and I look at what's going on, I listen to the, 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 the shenanigans, I watch the shenanigans, I listen to the, the dribble, I, I, I see the machinations of evil men and I understand and I look at this world and it looks like evil is triumphing and I think to myself, this world is broken and we need a change. Can anybody agree with me about that? Man, every week in prayer meeting, we pray in some way for our leaders. Oh, God, give us godly leaders because the ones that we have are not godly. The world itself is under the sway of the enemy. And think about this for just a moment. Here's John now, the apostle, 
imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. He is a prisoner of Rome. He was put on this island because he was stirring up trouble. And you know what the trouble was? He was preaching about a God who sent a Savior in the world to die for our sins and rose from the grave. He was talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the need for people to come to faith in Christ and receive Jesus. And for that, he was put on a prison island. The world, the lost, the prince of the power of the air, Satan... And his demons do not like people who make a difference in preaching and sharing the gospel. And John is on this isolated prison island. And every day he's reminded that the power of Rome is far-reaching. That Caesar's court has reached all the way to the Middle East and confined him to a prison. I think it was such a refreshing vision when John looked and there before him he saw in heaven a throne and he who was seated upon it and he knew right then that there is a throne above all other thrones in the universe. There is a throne that is above all the human thrones, all the spiritual thrones, all the thrones that we could ever conceive in all of creation. There is a throne above all those thrones. And this is a message to you today that we can be grateful because God is over all. His authority, His glory, His rulership, His reign is over all. And though we cannot see it, it is true. And we can truly begin to develop gratitude in our hearts when we look beyond this world. How do you get there from a practical sense? Well, I have to tell you that the one way that you get there is by tuning out of everything else in the world. You make time to get away from the internet, to get off of social media. You make time to to, to, to quiet your mind before God in an isolated place that is not inhabited by the, 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 the harried schedules of people and the activity and all that. You get away and have that quiet time with God. You have His Word to read and you pray. We need to learn the discipline of being quiet before God and we also need to learn the discipline of confession. We need to go before God, admit in our heart that we've sinned against Him. Not just those sins that we act and we outwardly do, but also the things that we fail to do. And, and let me just say this because I think sometimes we lose this somehow. We forget sometimes that our attitude our attitude is often the genesis of our actions and thoughts. That's why the Bible says that we ought to love God with all of our heart. The heart is the very core of your being, who you are. And if you don't confess the wrong attitude, 
and you don't come to grips with how God sees you, you will not experience a sense of His divine presence. So we get along with God, we pray, we confess, and we seek the Lord. I, I love this passage. In this passage of Scripture, the Bible describes these beings that are around the throne. I want you to notice what it says. It says, around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. These creatures, we probably believe that these creatures, um, they're probably seraphim. But I, now I don't know that for sure, but I don't think they're cherubim because they have a different number of wings and they, they look differently. And uh, the, the cherubim, they carry the throne of God. The seraphim, these are around the throne of God. So I believe they're probably seraphim. But... But, but what I want to say is notice how it describes these, these heavenly beings here. It says they're full of eyes in front and behind. Uh, these, this demonstrates that they always have their eyes on the throne. And they always have their eyes on what's going on in the world. These are incredibly powerful beings. They're interesting beings. What we know is that they're, they're, they're uh, unceasingly involved in the worship of God. But they also have a lot to do with pouring out the wrath of God. So they're very close to the throne. They're right there. They're, they're, they, they may be the most important creatures in all of creation. You know, I'm just speculating now. But this, the Bible says the four living creatures are full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. If you'll notice the descriptions of these four living creatures, they have been said by some commentators to represent what is noblest, what is best, what is the most uh, 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 positive, I guess, and, and, and the greatest in all of this creation because they resemble these creatures. And so when we think about that, it's a reminder to us that if that is true, and these are representative of the living creatures of the, the ox, you know, the man, the, the eagle in flight, the lion, which is the, called the king of the beast, then, then they say something about how all of, the, uh, uh, of us creatures have obligations to worship God. Notice what it says here. It says that... Uh, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes around within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. When we get to this place, we, we have gratitude because there's a throne that is above all the thrones of, of this world. But we have gratitude also because of what it tells us about God, about who God is. It describes Him with using the three words, holy, holy, holy. Uh, that word holy, it literally uh, means to be separate. It also has the connotation of being pure and undefiled. It's interesting because when we have a picture of the throne of God here in this passage, they, it talks about the beautiful color and the rainbow, but it also talks about the sea of glass. And many people believe the sea of glass represents, again, the, the holiness of God because He is separated from everything else and nothing can approach Him that is not pure and undefiled. And these creatures cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Did you notice that word holy is repeated three times? I believe that the holy, holy, holy is in reference to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
It's a recognition of the Godhead. That they are holy. That, that He is holy in His triune nature. And that He is, he is all-powerful. I want you to notice that this awe-inspiring vision of John also included a glory-revealing uh, composition or presentation in worship of God. And that's the second thing we need. Excuse me, the second thing we need. We need to not only see the glory of God, but we need to understand who He is. He said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Notice that He is holy. He's morally pure. He's undefiled. He is just, He is perfect in all His excellencies. He is majestic. I get that. And I think to myself, how in the world can I have relationship with Him? Folks, I got to tell you, when I was a kid, my mom and dad made sure I got a bath every night. And I'm thankful that we could afford that. And it wasn't a cold bath, it was a hot bath. Thank you, Lord. But I never will forget, if I didn't come out with my skin looking a little bit pink and red, I had to go back in. <laughs> Get behind those ears. Get between those toes. You know, I think about it, I can get my skin clean. But I have to admit, apart from the mercy of God, I can't get my thoughts clean. And if I can't get my thoughts clean, I can't get my words gracious and right. I can't get my actions as they ought to be. I think about this, the holy God who cleans us by the blood of Christ. He cleans up the outside, but He transforms the inside. And thank the Lord for that. You know, in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul was, was talking about his life as a believer. And, and he, was, he got to a very moment of transparency. And in Romans chapter 7, he talked about the fact that, that right, even as a believer, while he was there, in his mind he served the law of God, but in his flesh... He committed sin. And he described himself as someone who knew what to do that was right, but he struggled with the inner world. And in Romans chapter 7, he comes to the, the end of that portion of Scripture. And he says, I am a wretched man. And then he says... He asks the key question, the interrogative. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he breaks out in triumph. And he says, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to tell you, whether you're here in the auditorium or maybe you're watching online right now or at some point, the only person that can clean you from the inside out is the Lord Jesus Christ who shed His blood that His righteousness might abide on you. 
And though you may struggle in your Christian walk, the good news is that as God looks upon you and His Holy Spirit works in you, you are becoming more Christ-like every day. And one day, you'll be able to be in that glorious presence of God. The Bible tells us that God is described as holy. God is also described as supreme and almighty. Notice what these, these angels, these beings say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It describes His almightiness, His, his uh, ability, His sovereignty, all of those things. And if you look in verse number 1, remember that Jesus said, John, come up here. I want to show you those things that must take place. In other words, we can be grateful because of the cleansing of God in our lives. We can be grateful that there's a throne above other thrones. And we can be grateful that God's power is not thwarted by sinful human beings or demonic forces. God's will must take place. It is a purpose. It is a plan. And it is unfolding as God brings it about. I can be grateful about that because i got to tell you something. The plans of men are failing if I turn on the news, it's just one failure after another. This world will never get straightened out until people accept Christ or until He comes and sets things right from the throne in Jerusalem. The Bible says that we can be grateful because of who God is. He's morally pure. He's, he's good. You know, this word... Uh, Pure here describes God in all of His goodness. There's no sin in Him. He's not just perfect. He is good. He is loving. And the good news is He is eternal. Notice that this word of the angels says that He is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is a phrase that describes the fact that God will never cease to exist. God is eternal. God never had a beginning, and God will never have an end. And that is good for you and I because that means that God will always be there for us. His attribute of love and affection for us will never change because we're in Christ. His provision for us will never change because we are the beloved in Christ. No matter how long we live in this earthly body, no matter how long we live in the resurrection bodies to come, God will always be there. He is the one who was and is and is to come. And I can be grateful for that. The Bible goes on and describes not just the worship of these uh, heavenly beings, but notice who joins along in this refrain. In verse number 9, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. 24 elders. Who are these people? Well, I personally believe, and I believe my, my good friend, uh, Mirko, I think that we both are on the same page with this, and we believe this to be 
24 elders who are representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's a 12, 12 of those elders. And then the other 12 are representative of the apostles. Some people believe there are other things, but to me, uh, and you can correct me if, if, if you're different on that, but, uh, and by the way, I want you to know, I did get out your uh, copy and your commentary on the book of Revelation to make sure that I checked on this and checked with this. But anyway, these are, these are some of the highest, highestly uh, honored individuals who will ever live. Elders that represent the tribes and elders that represent the apostles. And they are there before the throne of God with the living beings. And notice what it says about them in verse 10. They fall down before him who is seated on the throne. They are prostrated before him. They are down on their faces. They are below. They have submitted themselves. And it's important for us to understand they're not only a picture, a vision of what's going on in heaven and what is happening, but they're also for us an example that our worship should be demonstrable. People should know we're worshiping. This is why some people, when they worship, they raise their hands. They move. They sway. They sing. The idea is that we are actively engaged in worship. And notice that these elders, not only do they fall down before him in subjection, but they take those beautiful golden crowns. And by the way, the golden crowns that they speak of here, it's the Greek word Stephanus. It is the victor's crown. These 24 elders now, they're robed in white, the Bible says which is a symbol of purity and also victory, and then the crown, the golden crown, which is a symbol of royalty, and because it is the Greek word Stephanus, it also refers to, to victory and, and, uh, and, and authority. And they take these crowns. They're, first of all, they're seated on thrones, okay? So they're royal. They get off of their thrones. They fall before God on his glorious throne. And they offer the crowns that were on their head to him. It is symbolic of they saying, Oh God, you deserve all the glory, all the honor, all the wealth, all the power. We submit our Selves and our authority to your holy, eternal, almighty authority. When you gather every day for a moment of worship before the Lord, remind yourself that your ego is not just checked at the door of worship, but that your ego is submitted unto the Lord and that he deserves all praise. You know, as I look at this passage, I'm, I recognize the fact that, that God deserves all praise and all glory and all honor. And as I've read verse 11, I've thought, you know, over and over again, I thought this is kind of weird because in reading this verse, it almost looks like the 24 elders 
that, they're, that they have the power to give, okay? It looks that way. I mean, that they have the, they have the glory that they should give, and they have the, the honor that they should give. And, the, and, and I guess the way that I've kind of come to understand this is this. When they ascribe worth to God, which is worship, and they describe Him, and, and He is worthy, He is, you know, we, we understand who God is and what He's worth. But when they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, they are not saying that God doesn't have it without them. But what they are saying is that any glory, that any possible worth, that, that all honor and all power, it belongs to God. And we should recognize that and celebrate that and subdue ourselves, submit ourselves to His glory and His honor. And when we do that, we catch a glimpse and we realize the grace of being able to let go and recognize that behind every good man is a great God. Not just a good woman or a great woman. The same thing applies to the ladies. Listen, they worship him. They, they speak of his, uh, his unstoppable nature. Nobody can thwart him. He is almighty. He is holy, holy, holy. And, and then they go on here. And let me just say this. When they take off their crowns, this again, this is symbolic of their offering back to God. And I think it's symbolic of how we live our lives in submission to God, but also in offering to God what we can. This means, obviously, that the resources, the abilities, the opportunities, that all of these things are a gift from God to us, and we recognize them. God has been good and blessed us. And with that blessing, like these 24 elders, we should be able to offer that back to God. Let me just say this real quickly this morning. Listen to me. When you give, and by the way, we have the offering boxes right there in the back of the church, and some of you give online, and thank you so much for the gifts that you give. And some folks are very generous. But when you give, you're giving with an understanding that your gift is not just about keeping the lights it's about providing an opportunity for people to worship the Lord, to exalt the Lord. It's about providing an opportunity for people to come to know the Lord in salvation. Your gift is not just about lining the pockets, or it's not about lining the pockets of people. Your gift is an offering to the kingdom of God, to the Lord Himself, so that the glory of God might spread all around this world. And let me tell you what will happen if we don't understand that. If we don't understand that and we cease to be generous, more and more of our children will be raised by ungodly people who have them for the majority of the day when they attend school. We got a lot of wonderful, good Christian teachers, and I'm thankful. We got a lot of good, wonderful Christian believers that work in our school system. But I'm just telling you, if we don't support the mission of God, less and less of those people will be available to help kids. And those children will become more and more Ungodly. There'll be some that, because of their wonderful parents who lead them and train them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, there'll be some that'll be able to stand out, but there will be so many others that will become little hooligans. And they will rob, and they will steal, 
and they will kill, and they will lie just like their father, who is the devil. When you give, you give in such a way that it helps prevent that. When you give, it is an offering to the Lord for the work of God. Let me just share one more thing here. You know, as we, and, and I, boy, there's a whole lot here and a whole lot that I want to say. But uh, let me just ask you to look, if you will, at the last phrase in verse number 11. He says, he, he says they say that God is, is, is worthy to receive all things. And then it says, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. What that tells us is that creation itself, the world, the universe, everything in the created order belongs to who? Come on, y'all. Talk to me. It belongs to God. They were created by Him and for Him. And because of that, we should worship Him because guess what? We're part of that creation. He has given us life, and He has given us opportunity. God, i got to tell you something. We ought to be thankful to God because the throne is above all thrones. We ought to be thankful to, to God because of who He is. He's good. He's moral. He's pure. He's loving. He's affectionate with us. He loves us. He cares for us, and He has created a world we can live in. And what that means for us is that we should never worship the created order. We should never idolize the creation or Mother Nature, as some call it. Now, I've got to tell you, there are two things that are happening in our world today with regards to nature. Number one, there's some crazies out there that have followed what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, and that is they worship the creation instead of the Creator. And the Bible says that God gives them over to a depraved mind because they're crazy, okay? But the second thing that's happening is that people somehow think that it's man's job to save the earth. I've got to tell you something. The earth will be here as long as God wants it to be here. That does not mean that we're not to be good stewards of it. But some people's idea of stewardship is, again, lining their pockets with profits, and they have an agenda whether it's world control of everybody's resources or whether it's just making a mint off of uh, new technologies. But the reality is creation belongs to Him. So let's be good stewards of it and let's rejoice in what He's done for us. Secondly, or thirdly, last thing, I promise this is it. All right. <clears throat> Notice if you look in chapter 5, when we get down to verse 8, 9, they're singing a new song. This is the four living creatures. This is the 24 elders. Um, this is a, an innumerable group of people once we get down because it includes people from every tribe and every nation and, you know, and, and every creature when you get to the end of the chapter. And I want you to notice where their praise and their gratefulness is focused. Worthy are you to take the stroll and to open its seals. This is about the title deed to the earth and the ending of this age. 
And notice what it speaks. He speaks with the lamb here, and he says, You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language, people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We can be grateful and have a heavenly thanksgiving, a heavenly-scented thanksgiving, when we are grateful to God for the purpose of redemption and what he's done in our lives. Some of us, some of you, some of you have had lives that have been ripped apart by sin and bad choices and terrible upbringing and you've been caught in the net of the enemy who takes drugs and alcohol and these things and he has done everything he could to destroy your life and then one day you came to know the Lord. Some of you were gripped by a terrible temper. Your emotions carried the day and they got you into trouble after trouble and you opened your mouth and you got into more trouble and more trouble. But one day God revealed his love and affection for you and it changed your life. Some of you had a great upbringing, but there was an emptiness in your heart and you knew there was something more. And then one day God affectionately called to you in your heart. And he said, receive my son, Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. And you'll find rest for your souls. They sang a new song to the Lamb. You are worthy. You are worthy because you were slain and you purchased men by your blood. You redeemed them and they know salvation. But not only are they grateful for the salvation, they're grateful for the coming glorification. Because here's your lot as a believer. The Bible says that God made you a kingdom of priests and one day you will reign on the earth. I take this to mean the millennial kingdom and it could be the same way applied to the new creation of heaven and earth but I know for a fact that your life is more than just about your redemption. It's also about serving the living God as a kingdom of priests. I tell you what, that makes my heart happy. I want to just wrap this up, and I want to tell you real quickly this morning. You know, uh, and by the way, I'm sorry that phrase real quickly, because again, I see you rolling your eyes. Um, listen to me. You can be grateful to God for Him having touched your life and brought you to salvation. But your gratitude to God should go beyond just that moment of praise and thanksgiving. It ought to go to that place of submission. It ought to go to that place of offering. It ought to go to that place of standing with the Lord in spite of all. It ought to go to that place of being a willing disciple of Christ. It ought to go to that place to confessing Christ before men, receiving Him into your heart. And the best place, one of the best places to do that is right here. It ought to go to that place where you stand up and say, I want to be part of this church what God is doing, and I want to commit myself to serving Him here, to serve Him and serve one another and help this community of believers thrive.
I want to encourage you today to do that. And I want to just say, as our praise team comes to lead us in worship, I know that, you know, one day John was just having one of those days. He heard a voice and he saw a door standing open to heaven. Some of you have glimpses of a door standing open to heaven. And you don't know how to respond. You can respond several ways, but I would encourage you to respond by opening your life to Christ, receiving Him, believing on Him, confessing Him before others. And secondly, I know that some of you have already done that. You've been a believer for a long time. You've followed the Lord in believer's baptism, and you know exactly what you're supposed to do. But what happened is over time, after you received Christ, you shut some of those doors in your heart. And God has been speaking to you about that very thing, perhaps this morning, perhaps for some time, and you've unwillingly kept that door locked. Please, before you leave this worship service today, would you be honest with God about it? And would you open up that door and let Him have His will and way? It will change your life. And it will begin your celebration of Thanksgiving so that it's not just a home-styled Thanksgiving, but it is a heaven-styled Thanksgiving this year. Our band is going to play and we're going to sing a song of worship. And if God has laid some decision on your heart to confess Christ or to make this your church home, I'm going to be here to receive you. So please come, even as we stand and begin to sing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Now, Lord God, help us to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about First Baptist Church of Wildwood and our ministries, you can go to our website, fbcwildwood.org our Facebook page, First Baptist Church of Wildwood, or our Instagram page, F.B. Wildwood. Have a great Jesus-filled day.